you guys ready up there? Hello and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Hannah Quinn, I work as a director, I'm also on the board of WFT. From spreadsheets to COVID testing, what exactly does it take to produce a feature film in the age of COVID-19? Last year, WFT board member Fiona Kinsley spoke with POV producers Deirdre Levins about her film You Are Not My Mother and Roisin Garrity on her film Sunlight, as well as Screen Skills Ireland Development Executive Fran Keaveney about this women-centred scheme. everyone, I'm Susan Liddy, Chair of WIFT Ireland and Board Member of WIFT International. So a really warm welcome to you this evening, to our members and our invited guests here. We're absolutely delighted to have the opportunity to tease out Screen Ireland's POV production and training scheme by talking directly to some of the women involved. When Screen Ireland announced this scheme, and as far as I recall, applications were to be submitted in early 2018. There was a lot of anticipation and excitement. And if I have it right, I think there was a really good surge of applications because there was an awful lot of interest out there. Many of you were energized that POV would herald really great new opportunities for female filmmakers, something of course we all support. But there were some concern too that the low budget nature of the scheme would bring its own pressures. There is, as I'm sure you know, a budget limit of 400,000. Well, we're going to get the inside track about that about COVID and about all the other issues by talking directly to our panel this evening. So just a very quick hello and welcome to Fran Keaveney, Development Executive in Film and TV Drama with Screen Skills Ireland, Deirdre Levins, who produced You Are Not My Mother, which premiered in TIFT Great Acclaim, and Rashin Geraghty, producer of Sunlight, now in post-production. Thank you one and all for joining us this evening. I'm going to hand you over now to producer and WIFT board member Fiona Kinsella, who's going to host this keenly awaited discussion for our members. Thank you all very much and over to you, Fiona. Hi, thank you, Susan. And thank you, Dee, Rashin and Fran. So um, earlier this year, we did a panel discussion with uh, two of the directors from uh, the POV scheme, uh, Kate Dolan and Antonia Campbell-Hughes, and we felt it would be a really good idea to put a spotlight on the producers. So um, I think of the many applications that were submitted uh, for the POV scheme, uh, Susan was right, it was opened in 2018, a 10 sorry, six projects were submitted for development and then four were finally selected. So as uh, Susan said, Dee produced Kate Dolan's You Are Not My Mother and Rashin produced uh, uh, Claire Dix's film Sunlight with Blinder Films and Dee of course was with Fantastic Films. So I thought I would start this by maybe getting Dee and Rashin to talk a little bit about the films that they produced and how they started working with the writer. And then I'll bring Fran in to start uh, to talk a bit about the, um, the mentorship and training aspect of the programme, because that was uh, a big part of the scheme. So Dee, do you want to talk a bit about uh, You Are Not My Mother? Sure. Hello, everyone, and thanks for having us. Um, so You Are Not My Mother is the project that we produced and we filmed um, 
last year in November. So actually it's coming around next week, we started uh, principal photography. So we're full out the other end and now delivering, which is great fun. Um, but You Are Not My Mother is written and directed by um, the wonderful Kate Dolan. Um, it's a genre film. Um, Kate is a passionate uh, genre uh, head as are fantastic films. So we, from very early on, kind of knew that we were the right fit because we're both interested in this, making the same type of projects. So You Are Not My Mother is inspired by Irish folklore around the idea of the changeling. Um, it follows three generations of women played by the wonderful Hazel Dupe, Carolyn Bracken and Ingrid Craigie. And our story follows um, Shar, who's played by Hazel, who is 15 years old, lives with her mother and grandmother in a housing estate in Dublin. And she has a troubled relationship with her mother. And one day her mother goes missing after they have a fight. So they're all very concerned about her. But thankfully, she returns. However, over the course of the days, um, the following days in the lead up to Halloween, her mother starts acting stranger and stranger. Um, you know, and um, it starts to become apparent that maybe her mother is not her mother. So it's a kind of good old um, genre film, but it's very firmly rooted in kind of strong characters, very strong themes of coming of age, of mental illness, um, and would follow in the kind of the, the buzz that's around at the moment of female genre filmmakers, like Prano, who's made Censor, and Rose Glass, who's made St. Maud. So that was our space. And we were very clear of kind of our ambition from the project from quite early on. So very quickly, that's the overview of it. And then just how myself and Kate met. Well, Fiona, you introduced us. So Kate was working with Fiona on um, uh, Cat Calls, which is a short film that was funded under Focus. So you and yourself and myself had also worked on a project called Goodbye Darling, which was part of the focus after 16 shorts. So we knew you knew that the two of us would be a good fit. So we obviously sat down and had good chats and heard about the POV project and felt it was the perfect time for both of our careers as a step up. Um, as prior, I would be more of a development executive in fantastic films. So it was my debut kind of producing on my own right um, a project with the company and it was Kate's debut feature film. So we sat down, looked at the POV scheme and thought, what could we, you know, bearing in mind the budget, bearing in mind what the, the, the limitations that that can bring, but also brings opportunities. So it, we kind of had a good idea of kind of controlling that. And we set out on the journey of POV with the development of the project with Screen Ireland. Thank you. Uh, Rashi, can you talk a little bit about Sunlight? Sure. Um, so Sunlight is a feature film project produced by me, uh, directed by Claire Dix. Um, it's her debut feature. It's mine as well. And uh, written by the brilliant Alva Kyogen. Um, it is a we've been describing the film as a very dark comedy drama about the right to die because it deals with those very difficult issues, but in a very caring, compassionate and, and very comedic way. So um, very interesting tonally. Um, we shot the film 
in from the end of July till the end of August just gone by. We had previously penciled to shoot the film in August 2020, but it was a very tricky time and we were weighing up um, a lot of things because it was right in the, just as the country was maybe starting to open with COVID, but um, it was a little bit too early to be mounting your first um, feature film, especially as a micro budget. I think Dee was much braver than us and <laughs> came straight out of the bat in, in October. Um, so the film, it came out of a working relationship that um, I already had uh, with Claire Dix. I've been working with her since 2015 uh, when I produced uh, her real art documentary, We Are Moving Memories of Miss Moriarty. Uh, which was just a fantastic experience. And then we started working with Alva Kyogen in 2017 um, on a short film called Take Me Swimming, which was one of the uh, focus shorts, Screen Ireland focus shorts for that year, actually in the same round as Cat Calls with Kate Dolan's film. So just goes to show the trajectory that can move together. Um, so we just loved working together. And in many ways, the the themes of uh, Take Me Swimming um, kind of moved into the film Sunlight, even down to the fact that the lead in the film is Barry Ward. Um, we uh, Alva essentially wrote the film for him because he, uh, he was so fantastic in the short film. He's such an amazing collaborator. He was there with us right from the beginning. So it was a very long process, but a very... Um, enjoyable and fruitful one and I just feel very lucky to have Claire and Alva as collaborators because they're immensely talented human beings so we're in we're in the post-production process at the minute uh we just had our rough cut screening with Screen Ireland and we are um working towards a test screening and then we will be going into post-production in uh, January and then we'll be moving on to the wonderful world of festivals and sales and um and distribution and delivering the film. <laughs> That's an incredibly fast turnaround for both films. Um, and especially given the, the challenges that we're having at the moment. So I guess I probably will just get a little bit into those challenges. I think um, I was line producing a micro budget feature at the same time or just before D went into production as well and I think one of there's two big things at play at the moment which um are hard for anyone let alone somebody who's trying to uh crew up a micro budget film so the first one obviously is the COVID and secondly it's how incredibly busy it is out there so Dee, do you want to talk a little bit about any of those challenges or both of those challenges? Sure, sure. Um, so we, so for myself and Kate, um, we, when we were successful in receiving and got the green light to get the production funding, I think that was CAM was when they announced it in 2019. And myself and Kate, very ambitious. And we thought, do you know what? Let's try and go in April because our film is set around Halloween. So we thought, well, we can either do spring and kind of capture the transition of season or we can do it in autumn. And obviously you want to save as much money as possible and use what's what's already um, uh, in your environment um, rather than kind of trying to create, you know, a Halloween kind of, you know, autumnal setting. So anyway, so what we, we thought we'd try and get go in um, 
say March, April of 2020. And obviously we all know what happened there. So that wasn't going to be a goer. But what what the benefit, and you know, it's important to always look at the opportunities that these things kind of bring to you. And the opportunity was that we got to develop for longer. So from March through till kind of the end of August, which I think is when we kind of went, right, we can go, let's just start plowing ahead. We actually spent more time on script and spent more time developing. And that was a key aspect in our ability to shoot under COVID. Um, in, our, in my experience, because we had such a tight script then. So you knew exactly what we knew, exactly what we needed. Um, the film is split pretty much down the line of 50% exteriors and 50% interiors. And while traditionally we might have approached doing the interiors first, we said, aha, you know, with COVID, the safest thing to do is do the exteriors first. So that helped in, in certain circumstances. It had its other challenges. Um, so firstly was well prepped. That was the, the key thing that kind of we did. But in terms of COVID, some of the, the really practical challenge, I mean, obviously it's quite nerve wracking as a producer to go, okay, we're going to all go ahead and film under COVID and the risk that's involved and making sure that everyone was very comfortable and wanting to be on set and was comfortable and understood what, what parameters and what um, testing and mechanisms we were putting in place to ensure everyone's safety. Um, what we also did as well as we said, well, let's shoot, it's set in Dublin, shoot in Dublin, everyone where possible based in Dublin. Um, so it meant we'd no one traveling in internationally and we minimized the amount of travel that cast and crew had. And we also shot under level five, which meant that in actual fact, people couldn't socialize at the weekends. So that kind of protected us as well. Do you know what I mean? So when people weren't on set, they weren't out in the bars. Um, we PCR tested twice a week. Um, we had our challenges with that. We had a scare um, we had to stop filming for a day because of that. Um, but we had a great team and everyone was very calm. So we were able to just do reset and go priority is health and afterwards, you know, we'll figure out and Screen Ireland were with us the whole way. So they understood that this is an unprecedented scenario. So the most important thing is the health and safety of everyone. Um, in terms of the practical challenges that COVID brought, obviously it slowed down filming. So we had to extend the shoot. We originally had it um, for four weeks and we ended up doing four and a half with an additional day as a pickup um, due to a stand down. And um, the other thing was actually really, it, it was an unusual thing, but I think everyone who's filmed under COVID um, has realized locations were a big issue where you thought that because everywhere was closed and people were isolated that you might be able to get into facilities. But in actual fact, of course, in hindsight, you're going, well, if you're not letting your own staff in there, why would you let a production team to come in and create havoc and then disappear, you know, 24 hours later? So, I think that was the locations just just and and also a thing was um, the mental health, you know, filming is a very stressful thing to do. It's very high octane. You're very solution orientated and the adrenaline kicks in. But when you add these layers of, you know, personal stress, you know, people are out, you've got to go home to your family. Are you safe? You know, um, I think that was something that we I thought was very important to kind of go, look, just slow and steady and calm. Everything will get solved and always have a little bit of contingency for pickups. Hmm. 
<laughs> Actually, how did you manage the the, the sort of the, the, the mental health aspect of the shoot on the day, like on a day to day level? I think for me, it was it was about being there every day and turning up and talking to everyone and chatting and communication I think that was that was one of the key things was to be always there asking people how they're doing um and just I mean Kate is a phenomenal like she really is a phenomenal talent and she came into the film with with a very clear vision um so she was very steady every day so we were never kind of when the pressure was on we're we're solution orientated you know um and I think that was that was the main thing was just if anyone felt uncomfortable, if any, anyone, it was like, come and talk, we're here. You know what I mean? You're very accessible. Um, and and briefing everyone about what the policy is going to be. I mean, Screen Skills had that great back to work protocols that everyone had to participate in before they they stepped onto set. But also following up with that then, you know, and having a chat with each person as they come onto the set going, so this is what we're doing. How are you feeling about this? And we had a COVID, we had a separate um, COVID compliance officer who actually came from... I think her background might have been the music industry so actually she was well versed in managing these kind of chaotic events um and um was strict so also saying guys no step off take a break you know um so I don't know if that answers you but yeah, that's perfect and Rashi, you you actually shot your uh, sunlight in earlier this year. It was twenty twenty one. So I guess we were a bit more familiar, but um, it didn't. I think the crew issue is probably worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were definitely different challenges. The COVID challenge was there. It probably wasn't as intense as it. Well, it definitely wasn't as as intense as it was for Deirdre. It was still there, and obviously we we're very careful and put all the safety measures in place, but it really, yeah, the, the, the crew situation was quite difficult, but you know, it's, it's funny what Deirdre says about, um, you know, they had to make a decision of the time of year because of the script. And it was exactly the same with us in, in that the film sunlight is a, it's a three hander kind of buddy comedy drama set on the longest day of the year, set on the summer solstice. And that is like of paramount importance to the script and it's called sunlight. <laughs> so when we were, when it was early summer 2020 and I was making my uh, pros and cons list about trying to shoot during the pandemic or was that even possible? It just, it was just that little bit too soon. And we did, we knew that, you know, if we don't go now in July 2020, we're going to have to wait. And um, again, with uh, as happened with Deirdre, it meant that we had so much prep time that was just so useful for myself and Claire and for Alva. Every line of the script was interrogated, every shot, you know, we again, we knew it like the back of our hands and it really made such a difference. By the time we assembled our team around us, like we knew it inside out and it... It really, especially when you're going into your first feature, it was it was it was incredibly helpful. So obviously, this with COVID, by the time we shot, so we started, I think uh, the last week of July, um, just gone. You know, we were the COVID. Um, I think we were maybe in level three, or maybe less than that. It's hard to even remember, even though it was just a couple of months ago. But most of the crew had been on a lot of sets at that stage. So people were much more familiar than they would have been on, unlike 
with Deirdre, which was probably a lot of people's first jobs after after the lockdown. So it was it was a different scenario. Obviously, we were still very mindful of everybody and, and watching out for them. And again, like I feel like it's it's just communication and being there for people and knowing having them know that you actually care, I think, makes such a huge difference. Um, and obviously, you alluded to the crew situation being a little bit tricky at the minute. Um, that was that was probably that was definitely the biggest such a huge challenge for us because obviously it's a micro budget film. So you're working from like Screen Ireland rates, which in a way, when you you know you just lay that out as soon as you speak to crew members, and it's completely understandable for certain people they they can't work for that rate, but. Once you have that conversation straight off the bat, like, you know, you have an investment from people and it's this will feed in a lot to Fran's work. But for us, there were definitely some crew members that were definitely were taking a big leap in terms of their their roles and stepping up. And it worked out really well. I feel really lucky. It was a little bit nerve wracking because there was just an inability to fill certain roles. I was on the phone to Fran quite a bit and she was helping me out loads. And we came up with quite creative solutions around mentorship and bringing in more experienced people to mentor some crew members stepping up. But it was incredibly rewarding because the people who were on set, like they all were phenomenal. And it it felt really good to, to see them, you know, step up to features and certain roles. And now because it's so busy, they've proved themselves on one feature. And now I, I know a number of crew members that have moved on to, to doing other features straight away because the work is there. And if you prove yourself, you can really push forward quite quickly at the minute. But it was very tough. It was very <laughs> tough to, to get the crew. But when they were in place, it was amazing because it, it was for me, I have to say that like coming from the world of, of uh, producing shorts and doing it all yourself. I felt like everything was my job. So when we actually had a team in place, it was like I couldn't believe it that there were people there to do the jobs that usually I would do. And it was just, it was brilliant. And it, yeah, it was such a, an amazing team that we had. And obviously we had the support of Blinder Films as well, who who were the production company and they're, they're just amazing. And they were such a brilliant support to us. Um, I think now is a good time to bring Fran in, but just before I do, I just want, um, if anyone has any questions, just put them in the chat and, and I'll ask the, the guys. But uh, Fran, do you want to talk a bit about uh, screen skills input into the POV scheme? Yeah, um, well, Teresa spoke to me about, and Leslie, I think she was, um, about two years ago, I'd say, we talked about how we could integrate crew training into the POV schemes because it you know it seems it seemed like the perfect opportunity to do something so we had great plans to do this training program <laughs> and then bang you know I think the first one but like COVID hit and then everything kind of was thrown up in the air and it was nobody was working and then we were just concentrating on training 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 we were just flying out courses because everybody was unemployed and we thought this is a great opportunity to especially in the area that I work obviously film and tv drama so when the first film came along and we, we approached the guilds and, and then we thought, right, it, it wasn't, they, were, they didn't find it as difficult to find crew because it wasn't as busy, but it was in North Donegal. So there wasn't the amount of crew obviously based up in Donegal. So we were looking at, kind of, we brought in mentors um, for that film um, quite early on. Well, no, actually it was quite late. Um, we had a lot more, we 
longer running time, say with Deirdre and um, Roisin's films. And so it was a bit of a scramble to get people in. And, and we were kind of, we hadn't really had an opportunity to talk to the guilds about it and talk about crew. So we very quickly met with the guilds that this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. So the idea was always that um, it's hard to get crew to work on micro budget films. There's no doubt about it. I, I worked in the film in the shorts section of Screen Ireland for many years. And, and, and did a short in the years ago. It's actually Robert Quinn's first short. I knew him before he was famous. Um, <laughs> but like, I found it actually nearly easier to offer everybody at the time, I think it was 55 pounds a day, it might be, I'm not sure, it wasn't even euro. And it was just easy. I just thought it's, it's really difficult, but actually it's, as Roshim was saying, it's the whole spirit of it. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't get that spirit from day one, throwing all the mentors in the world and that it's not going to work. So I think what's good about the micro budget, it's very fair. Everybody knows that, well, if I'm a head of department, this is what I get paid, if, you know, at the different levels. So I felt it wasn't going to be a huge challenge to get mentors in because once that spirit was there, then people would buy into it. But obviously this was a little bit different because people were stepping up and it was kind of, uh, it was a feature and it wasn't a short and it wasn't something that wasn't 55 pounds a day. It's, it, it's somewhere in, in between. So anyway, we reached out to mentors and um, a lot, some of the people knew who they'd like to have mentor them. And that, that made it much more, much easier to organize because that head of department or whatever had, an, had, had a, a sense of kind of some sort of investment in that person's career because they'd worked with them. But then there were times, especially in Donegal, um, some of this crew had never really worked in film before. So it's very hard then to go to the gills or to go to crew and say, this person is kind of stepping up from nowhere in the film industry to a higher level. So, so that was harder to do um, because what we, what we never wanted it to be was we're just going to bring people in, rush them through the grades, and now they're first AD on a POV, so now they're first AD, because that was never the idea. So, so that was more difficult. But when we got to, um, to do Deirdre's film and Roshin's, We'd had, you know, a better opportunity to engage with with the with crew, and there was a real buy into it. And what surprised me, what Deirdre's was probably one of the first films, you know, out after COVID, and you were very brave, and um, and that. But people really wanted to help. You know, everybody that we asked to do it, without question, just said they do it. You know, there was no, and a lot of them were working on other films, I, and. And I, I said, tell the good and the bad bits in a minute. Um, but everybody was really invested. And even if they were working on productions, they were saying, no, 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 we can make this work. We can really make this work. And I was a little surprised that I was saying, how am I going to find crew that are available to do this? But actually they weren't available, but they still wanted to do it. Um, and then when we got to Rashi's film, it was really busy. It was getting really, really busy. But we still got the same reaction. No, no, I'll be able to do it. It's fine. You know, we'll be able to work around it. And the I just I was overwhelmed with the support and even since then people saying oh you know we we put out a call for um the film that's shooting at the moment for somebody in set deck and nobody this person didn't hadn't worked a lot in set deck and I got about three or four emails after we appointed somebody as the mentor saying if you didn't find somebody I'd be delighted to have that I'm on a film everybody's working but everybody really wanted to support the film so I think going forward I think it's just so positive and I think the idea behind it was to try to get people who are working in the grades moving up a grade so it's, it might even be a trainee 
being a head of department for that film, but not the expectation to be head of department when they leave. But if it's an assistant moving up, that maybe they're at the stage where I'd really like to move up, but it's really scary, especially when you're head of department. And just to have that comfort blanket of having somebody there that you can go, oh my God, I'm not sure if I've made the right decision on this. And to know you can call somebody, that you can email them, whatever they, everybody had their own system of how they reported to each other. Um, and I know when I first stepped into being a production manager, I would have given anything, anything to have an official route to ring somebody. I mean, we all ring people. I used to ring Mary Ellen and drive her mad and she was always busy. And I always felt, I can't keep ringing her. But, you know, to have somebody that actually you can, this is official, this is something in place. So it was very much about around getting crew in who were at a stage where they were thinking of moving up and that they had the support to do that. And I think some people stepped up even when they weren't really planning on stepping up, but they did it anyway because they didn't want to let the producers, directors down. So that's a very long winded way of saying, it kind of came as a tiny idea two years ago of let's do something. And then all of a sudden everything stopped and then all of a sudden it started. And so the good, some some of the mentorships worked, I would say 90% worked really, really well. It was nothing but positive back from the, like most of the mentors have come back and saying, you, please ask me again. I really enjoyed it. It was really, you know, it was great to do. And then there were a couple that didn't work so well. And I'm not going to pretend that hundred percent worked because that's people. And sometimes personalities didn't work out or there was an expectation of, of a higher level, say for the person who maybe was stepping up. But I think under these circumstances, I think the people who, who did, you know, who stepped up into those roles with mentors, I'd say the majority really benefited and the mentors felt they really, really benefited from it as well. That's great. And do you see that that's going to, that there's a template there that can be incorporated into future kind of schemes or development and training? Definitely. I mean, one of the things we're looking at now and it will be announced soon is that we're creating some talent academies. So we've won for film and TV drama, which has been announced, and that's above the line. We've won for animation, which is above or below the line for animation. And we're also looking at three crew hubs. Now that's to be announced. So who's running them? And people know they are because they were advertised. And um, so we will be announcing the three successful organizations in the next week or so, I hope. Uh, yeah, so one of the things with the crew hubs is that our, when we learned over COVID, like we're doing all this training, we have, to, we have to bring new entrants in. We have to do lots of upskilling that we have to look at a lot more training on the job like we could run a million courses and it's brilliant to run courses but really it's that follow through that makes all the difference so to think that we could look at running training programs or say we will have the crew hubs running them and then looking at workplace opportunities and working at mentoring opportunities and shadowing opportunities now we talk a lot about shadowing for directors but we could there's no reason we couldn't look at shadowing for heads of department so we are looking at an awful lot more around workplace learning and what can be done, you know, for people. And so whether it's on a feature that maybe you're not ready to step up, but you've got a bit of time and you would like to shadow a DOP on a feature, why not? You know, so we are looking at a much broader model around training now that involves a lot more um, on the job learning. And we can see now, especially like we just did passport production, we had 71 people went through that we placed I think it's 56 of the 
few that we have in place, they just weren't available. We, everybody was off the placement, so hopefully they'll be placed soon. And the majority, I don't know the exact percentage yet because they're still, we have about 20 out on placement at the moment and they're finishing on Friday. Um, I would say in and around 60% of the people placed were kept on on the productions. Um, so we can just see that it works, you know, and it, it is that connection between doing the job having an opportunity to shine, networking, and then away you go. So it's it's not just about just the training, it's everything else that you that you gain in working on a production. But we do want it supported and we do think even around the EDI piece, which we're all looking at and bringing in new, new talent into the screen industry, both in front of and behind the screen, yeah. is that it has to be supported. It's, it's not okay to just throw somebody in at the deep end. And I think that's what was great about um, POV scheme is that that support was there for for people who really felt they needed it and it, it it allows you to shine it allows you to stretch yourself a little bit if you think you've somebody somebody's got your back um I think this is a question for all three I think as this was a, a female aimed funding opportunity outside of the director uh, writer uh, and producer roles what other opportunities were made for for female crew and particularly for hod's uh, Dee, do you want to start yeah for sure um that was really important to me um as a woman working in genre film it's so predominantly um male skewed so it's great to kind of fly the flag um the scheme for us I think I'd have to do a full analysis on it, but we were certainly 50-50 HODs women. Um, we had Lauren Kelly as our production designer, the marvellous Dee Hexen as our composer, Mandana Bambino as um, our makeup artist, and I'm sure I'm forgetting one or two names there, but we had a great balancing act of it. And I think that's really important to see in film, but bearing in mind that Kate is also the writer director and as myself as producer so we had and we had th three generations of women so actually I think we had one or two male actors but actually even the supporting cast was predominantly because it was an all-girls school that Char was was in so we had a very strong female skewed project which I was very proud of achieving in this. Great and and how many of the um the HODs were given the opportunity to move up it was Lauren moved up didn't she and but again, you'd argue that, you know, kind of all of them. For me personally, the role that I thought was important to have a, good, a bit of experience was the production line producer, particularly, you know, in these kind of um, heightened kind of uh, stresses with COVID and stuff. So we had Liam Ryan um, who line produced. And then I think there is an overlap with crew. Um, uh, Roshin, I think you had a couple of people that we had on mm -hmm. ours. So we had... Um, Drew Maitland as our first, um, the wonderful Narian Van Mael as our DOP, super talented. And that was, I think we were maybe his first or second feature. I think he might've done a feature doc and maybe another feature. So it was still quite a big step up for him um, because we were, we were quite ambitious with what we were planning to do and he really knocked it out of the park. And then his team were people who were kind of all stepping up as well. So what was great was like for, for in terms of the training just stepping back a little bit in for the pov scheme when we were actually going on that journey with it um screen aren't put training within the even the development in place so kate um was 
shadowed or Kate had support with Lorcan Finnegan, who's an incredibly talented director who we just produced Vivarium with. So she had someone to talk to about because he had done Without Name, which is one of the catalyst projects, which is from the micro. So she had someone that she could talk to. I obviously had John and Brendan and um, we got Kate through actually Screen Directors Guild, just a separate thing to shadow Nyasa Hardman on Sea Fever. So it kind of started from the very beginning. And then when each HOD came on, yes, of course, it was a challenge getting crew. Of course, it's a challenge getting crew when you're not paying them the two grand or whatever they, they aim to get. But the stepping up um, and the goodwill that came with that. I mean, we had a great uh, editor called John Cutler who had edited Kate's Cackles. short film, Cat Calls. Yeah. And he, but this was his stepping up as a feature film. So we had Tony Kearns mentor him, which is what an incredible person to be able to, who's a phone call away um, for our production designer, we had Lauren Kelly. I mean, an incredibly talented designer, so young, 22, out the blocks, off you go, run a department, um, you know, and a very challenging department, certainly for our film. Um, and she had Joe, is it Fallover? Fallover, Fallover. Fall yeah. all over um who she could co- talk to so like that's and even our props we had no Walsh came on board to help out you know it was it was a it was a really important thing um and it, and I think it brought a very positive um feeling on the set that everyone was in it together and I think it is about kind of with the fees and with the training it's it's about kind of leveling the playing field for everyone um, but bearing in mind that there's maybe one or two roles that that as a producer, you're going, well, actually, that's just opening a little bit of a gap. So I'm just going to put someone a little mm-hmm. bit more experienced in that position because they can maybe carry like Liam could carry a little bit more of helping the HODs crew up that maybe normally you'd expect them to maybe bring their team with them, you know. And, and Rasheen, how did you find um, just getting the right balance in terms of women? Well, actually, to hark back to what uh, Deirdre was just saying about Lauren Kelly, we actually had a lot of the same HODs, but um, I feel like Lauren Kelly was was such a gem so young and came in with her art department, which was an all female team, which like all these incredible young women who just really we had so many locations in our film and obviously a tiny budget and came in and just knocked it out of the park. They um they were just phenomenal. Um, we actually just I'm sort of harking back to something that both Fran and Deirdre said, but for us it was actually a bit different in terms of the line producer. Um, things were were very very busy uh, when we were coming out the gate um, to to make the film. Um, but I had been I had been was doing the um, advanced producers. Uh, course with Screen Skills Ireland and TU Dublin and I met incredible people on that course and I actually uh, we I brought in a line producer who was someone kind of like from my own background Julianne uh, Wath who is um, had made a micro budget one of the 100,000 uh, euro Screen Ireland features just before Covid and she you know maybe didn't have the very um, the trajectory of being a line producer and working her way up that way but she kind of had a similar background to me in, in the way that she'd kind of done it all herself and um, similarly with our production manager we'd all kind of done the DIY route where you're doing everything 
And I knew that these women could really uh, knock it out of the park, but it was actually the more structured, you know, this is what you're doing in prep minus four. This is what you're doing in prep minus three. That sort of structured um, help, like help to like in that area that we needed. So we, Fran helped with a mentor in that area, Eilish Bracken, who came in and said, you can do this. This is what you're doing this week. This is when you need to have this done. And just like gave us this roadmap of how you prep a feature film, which was just absolutely invaluable. And they were a phenomenal team. And now they, you know, they're producing their own films and, you know, um, working as line producers and, and production managers. And just that kind of, um, that kind of training and grounding in the prep of our feature just really, it was just phenomenal. It was just fantastic. So sorry, the slight tangent, but uh, it, was, it was honestly, it was one of the best things about um, the development part of, of POV. It was just that we were given that knowledge that, you know, we were knew we were well able to do it, but we'd never kind of been given that roadmap, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And, and Frank, can you just talk a little bit about uh, diversity and the scheme and particularly when it comes to women? Uh, on this scheme? Or generally, in general, and and I think maybe starting with this scheme. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's brilliant. Actually, we were talking about it at the symposium. I can't see that's how they pronounce it, but it's spelled C I N E. And the other day about you know gender balance in the screen industry has been high on the agenda in Screen Ireland for many years. And I don't want to speak for Screen Ireland because obviously I work in the skills development unit, so I'm not across everything they're doing. But you know, this has been something that has been you know has been applauded and, and really we wanted to do for a very long time and certainly in in what we're doing as well in any of the training we're always looking for that that gender balance and and we and we're seeing it all the time we really are seeing a, a shift in um in, in certainly around gender in more people coming in to do um roles that are predominantly female and predominantly male and we're always saying it's not just about female I know this is about female talent and certainly when you look at the statistics this was needed because there aren't that that the gender balance isn't tipping in the right in the, it's certainly not even within above the line talent but it isn't either below the line and, and in many departments you know I did I did the stats for the Augsburg report a few years ago which was a bit of a nightmare because we didn't have guilds and we, we were trying to find we were, I'm trying to count the amount of people who worked in the screen industry in Ireland it's a nightmare but I was still shocked hadn't I hadn't worked in you know on a film since my last fantastic films outing and um, because I'd be I had been working in other areas and I was kind of shocked that it was still so gender tipped in you know in the various departments I think there was one person one female in the lighting department you know and, and all the different areas it wasn't as it wasn't uh, as balanced as I hoped it had, would be by now but actually I really see it now coming through on the courses um, and certainly it's on, um, on Passport Production, which had a big EDI push. So, you know, in the call out, we, it was a very definite call out for people who feel underrepresented in the screen industry. And it's interesting at that talk we were doing last week, it's, you know, diversity is um, talked about in all different guises, but really you have to look at the diversity in your country and what that looks like. So what, what diversity is in Ireland is, could be very different to what it is in, in other countries. So we in that call out it was amazing because we were able to with that remit you know women looking to be grips and men wanting to work in the costume department which we don't have enough of and we know that you know anybody can do any job you know you 
So we are seeing a big, I think we're seeing a, a big shift in the kind of roles. And I guess, again, I'm, I'm always looking at below the line crew in where people see themselves fitting. You know, the amount of people on, on that, um, on the passport production program, the amount of male uh, um, participants who want to go into the script supervision departments is phenomenal. I mean, I was just shocked. We had a woman who absolutely wants to work in the grip department. And we were like, yes, this is brilliant. And this wasn't forced or pushed. This was, we're just going to tell you about all the jobs. And a lot of people had no idea about the screen industry in that they knew they, they knew about the screen industry, but they didn't know there were so many crew roles. And by the end of the six-day training program, people who came in saying, oh, I want to work in camera or I want to work in whatever. And um, when they were told about all the departments, and interesting, nobody said, this is a female department and this is a predominantly male department. People chose departments that traditionally their gender would not have normally chosen because there was nobody saying, or they weren't seeing all women being script supervisors. They weren't seeing all men working in the lighting department. And it was just great to see people going, no, that's what I want to do. And gender never came into it. And diversity was a part of that whole call out anyway. So we had a real really really broad mix of people from all walks of life from every corner of the country um but it was it was great I, I do think we're going to see a big change especially in the push we have to do at the moment because we need more we need more crew we need more above the line below the line talent and as i said we thought it was double we're now looking at treble the amount of people working in the screen industry over the next few years so um people are going to have to start thinking laterally about what they perceive it's our perceptions of who should be doing what on our yeah. crews we just need one of the courses i'm working on the moment at the moment is an online unconscious bias course that i was actually working on it today that will be available to everybody you know you'll just be able to go onto our website and do it and it really does it is you know we do have these perceptions but also when when you're working in a stressful environment a high pressure environment they actually rise higher than they do in a nice calm environment where you can stop and make decisions and you know so something i think we i think it will start just our perceptions will change our our you know the biases we have will have to will have to fall away but i think they're happening anyway i think we're we're seeing more diversity in all shapes and forms particularly around gender on set and it is that whole thing isn't it if you see it you can see it absolutely um so i think i'm going to move on to uh festival strategy now because that's all something good to talk about and look who we have to talk about it with <laughs> um so actually I'll, I'll talk with uh d first because you've uh um your film premiered at tiff this year and just how did you kind of go about devising the strategy and did you have help from screen ireland with that as well absolutely um so the funding scheme, the POV scheme, is it, the film is funded by Screen Ireland, and there's no other financing that you're 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 you bring with it. You know, it's it's them and it's four eight one. Um, however, we we make genre film, and genre film is whilst it can challenge and um, it also excites and it is market driven. So we were very keen to get a sales agent on board. Um, so. I so actually Sophie Green in Bankside was actually on one of the panels in POV, but I knew her personally and, and Bankside separately. Um, so we got talking to them 
um, before we went into the shoot to make sure that kind of, you know, to get their feedback on the script. And, you know, they're they're the people who take the film and sell it out to the territories and are thinking completely audience driven and can provide very interesting insights along the journey of the film. Um, and um, so they came on board um, kind of in the background and we were talking regularly about kind of the ambition for the project and they knew Kate as well. They'd seen Cat Calls. They were very excited about her as a kind of uh, a signature kind of voice coming up through um, emerging out of the industry here. So we quite early on then started talking to them about festival strategy and with Louise Ryan in Screen Ireland also providing advice on that. Um, you aim high, go big or go home, as they say. So um, we kind of knew, we knew from personal experience as a company, we knew what we had, we knew what we could get, um, that if we got this right, that it could be quite a special um, signature kind of film. So we were kind of looking at the, the A-list festivals and obviously we didn't have named named cast, you know, as in A-list recognizable, but, you know, if you get the right kind of story and for us, you know, we knew we we're making a genre film, we knew it needed to scare people, but emotionally move them. So we kind of, um, we, looked at we kind of finished in we were editing nearly finishing the picture in March with the idea that if Cam said hello <laughs> said yes please we could scramble um, and be ready for that but we knew that that might be you know it would be great and you know um, Vivarium was in Critics Week and it was an incredible launching uh, pad for the film but we were always kind of thinking maybe TIFF would be the good home for it and actually Kate um, Cat calls that she'd done um, and this would kind of reiterate this idea of developing kind of talent Kate's genre she made a great horror short film so then developing a horror feature film is a lot easier because people know that she, she knows the language um, so um, the um, programmer of Midnight Madness was a programmer in Fantastic Fest who had premiered Cat Calls in um, part, it's either 2017, I'm not sure actually, Fiona, you might know the, the year. I think it was Remember before no, yeah, Might it was 2017, I think, yeah. <laughs> so he was, so she was on her, his radar. Um, we'd come off the back of Sea Fever being in Toronto um, the previous year. So we kind of all knew that that was kind of aim, aim for that. And we were incredibly excited and absolutely thrilled to have got Midnight Madness because it's actually a programme that as a horror film company, we hadn't got to yet. So it was one that we were like, well, everyone turns to, you know, and as Kate, um, if you were, anyone was on the panel that she did a couple of weeks ago, like she's a fan. So she used to go and look at Midnight Madness every year and go, what's coming out in that program? Because they're the genre films that I want to make sure that I see. Um, so I think for her then to see that suddenly she's now on that list was quite, and along with, with Titane, which is incredible, um, coming off the back of the palm door. Um, so that was kind of, it was a target, um, 
we were we were hopeful but you can never assume um and we were very very lucky that they said yes and they saw what we saw in the film um and off we went to toronto um last month and it was an incredible experience um the film was really you know beyond expectations i mean i always had high expectations for it but the reviews have been phenomenal it's an incredible opportunity for kate i mean her debut film is just her career it's just it's such a great result for her um because you are nervous about you are nervous when you when, as a producer you're you know you're, there's a the director's launch pad is their first film mm. and the budget can't compromise their potential they have to come out of the block singing or they won't get a second opportunity it's such a privilege to make a film than to make another one and another one um so for her i think um i shall be holding on to her coattails <laughs> as she <laughs> where it goes wherever she wants um so um that was incredible for us but we got great reviews um which we were so delighted about and yeah now we've we've sold to we've sold our key territories we sold to the us so that was announced um a couple of weeks ago to uh, magnolia through magnet releasing their genre um arm and we have sold a few other territories, which I'm sure will be announced over the coming weeks and months. And yeah, in 2022, hopefully the film will be out and a um, few people might see it in the cinemas. Brilliant. <laughs> and uh, Roisin, um, you're, you're not quite there yet, but um, what have you done and what, how are you thinking about your festival strategy? Oh, it's it's I feel like there's so much less I can say than than D because we're at this funny moment where we are, you know, speaking to a sales agent, but I'm not really able to talk about it. And um, obviously my background is in festival programming. Yeah. So this is uh, one of my favorite parts. Um, but so not being able to talk about it is a bit difficult for me. <laughs> but I I have like my own ideas of where I would love the film to go um obviously it's a very different film to uh to Kate's film um but seeing how well she did is is amazing and she so deserves it and it's slightly terrifying as well coming after that <laughs> but um yeah so we're it's um we're kind of a little bit too late for certain festivals uh you know the Sundance South by and, and Berlin it's just we're not there yet and the, there's actually a little bit of a gap before deadlines start approaching um, for the summer festivals. So I feel very lucky to have, you know, Blinder films in, in the corner with me on that and Screen Ireland for that because they, you know, they've, you know, screened their films at big festivals and obviously Screen Ireland are amazing, you know, in terms of the contacts they have and the showcase they give for Irish films. So yeah, it kind of remains to be seen, but I'm, um, I'm very excited. And again, it's the same, I just, Obviously, it's an opportunity for me, but it's just it's it's the launching pad for for Claire Dix um, with her first feature. And yeah. she has been working so hard for so many years. And I just, yeah, really hope that the film does very well for her. And just as you work in festivals, do you have any advice for filmmakers just how, how, about how to approach that part, even for short films? um like at what point in time do you start thinking about festivals um for features I would say get a sales agent 
<laughs> very difficult no that's um actually working with cork film festival it's um we do obviously look at everything through open submissions and you know if there's a very special film there you know we, we get very excited about it um for shorts i have a very probably very obvious piece of advice but it is easier to program short shorter shorts <laughs> that's that seems like such a silly piece of advice but um it's something i've definitely learned being on both ends of it is that you might have a phenomenal 30 minute short film but um it would need it needs to be three times as good as three 10 minute short films sometimes to be in programs that sounds very cutthroat some films need to be the length they are but it is just a consideration that it's something that I say to people is it, it's just kind of a fact of it is 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 length because you can only program so many films in a short film program and that sounds very hard, but... no I I completely agree with you that it's um there's no point doing something if it's over long. It's just not going to get into festivals because yeah. of the length. Yeah. But sometimes that's not what the film is, obviously. Yeah. Films need to be a certain length and it's a case by case scenario. And that's obviously a very, you know, that that's just um, some films are going to be longer. And but rule of thumb, I guess, more generally is something that I tend to say to, to short filmmakers. I know I was um, the short films executive for the film board for 12 years and I do, or it was about eight years I was there altogether 12 years but um, I don't think I ever ever said in a rough thought you know this film means needs another minute I don't think <laughs> I ever said that in all that time it was usually you know it's it's short they're, they're called short films for a reason I remember sitting through a short film one time in Claremont uh, it was 59 minutes anything under 60 minutes in France but it was 59 minutes and I thought I'd I thought I'd die, you know, sitting in the cinema. I thought, when is this ever going to end? It felt like it should have ended 15 minutes after it started. Mm. 59 minutes, but yeah, short, short should be short. They're always they're usually better when they're short. And I have produced long shorts, so it's not yeah. like I'm not anti-long shorts. Me short. too. I love long <laughs> shorts, but it, when you're looking at it from the programmer's perspective, it, it just, it's fact, unfortunately. <laughs> I just have a couple more questions uh, and then we might wrap it up. But if anyone has any questions in the meantime, just put them into the chat. Um, there's, I have a question from one of the, um, the, one of the people watching and uh, it's just going back to diversity. So this is somebody who um, says, it's difficult to hear, we need more crew from um, particularly um, from somebody who is struggling to find work at the moment. Is there any advice that you could give her? Um, well, we've put up, a, it's only temporary because we're developing a crew database. And in that crew database, obviously we'll have crew, professional crew, but we're also going to have a section for new entrants and graduates. So that's people who maybe don't have experience but want to enter into the industry. So they have an opportunity to say what, where they're interested in working. It could be happy to explore it could be no I just wanted to get my foot in the door um, but in the meantime we have got um, on our website I think it's in the resource section that we have upcoming productions so it shows what productions are coming up and looking for crew and there's also a section for available crew where you can put your name up on what area you're interested in working in so it is 
it's temporary until the crew database is, is, is going to be ready. That will be after Christmas by the time we did, we did a huge amount of scoping on it to make sure it was a crew database people would use, you know, and, and we have, we will have upcoming productions on it. We'd have a chaser list of upcoming productions and we'll also have um, a crew call out facility. So, and one of the things we are, you know, like in our call out for passport, we did ask for a broad diversity and we did get it. And, you know, we like the, one of the examples I was talking about recently is somebody who had, um, you know, who came in from a, from a different ethnicity and we, we very narrowly said, oh, well, you know, this person is obviously finding it difficult. They said they were finding it difficult to come into the industry, but actually they had a physical disability. Um, and of course, you don't know this when people apply. We don't ask people, you know, we're just saying, do you feel underrepresented? And they did. So the department they were placed in didn't work for them, but we placed them in another department. And that didn't work as well either. But from working on the production, they discovered what they're really good at. And they now know what they can work in. And their disability is, is not a factor at all in that job. So, so absolutely, we are, you know, certainly, as I say, it's, it's all new. It's, it's, baby steps but one of the things that we know that where we have people coming in from groups that are have been underrepresented whether it is ethnicity or uh, a disability or a new neurodiversity that you absolutely need supports um, on the production to support somebody to find their way to find the right job um, and we've done that I mean on Passport we've done everything from okay, everybody gets a call every week everybody's got a, a plan and um, for their for the work experience they're going to do. And also like we, we provide a transport for people to get onto sets. Now, obviously that's not something we can do in the long term, but I think while we're growing the workforce, we need to look at all of the different mechanisms we need to bring people in to upskill them and to have more diversity in our crew base. So um, th this year has been a huge learning curve for the last kind of 12 months for us in working with COVID, working with restrictions, bringing in new people, doing lots of training. And um, we have a much better idea of what, how, what works and what isn't working really. And, and I think the diversity, you know, with regard to, and I think that this, and this question is particularly around disability. You know, I think there are, we, we've, we've seen how when people are brought in and are supported, they can blossom and grow. I mean, we've, We've got another request today to keep on another five people from Passport. And either one of the people that went on on this particular um, production was worried their English wasn't going to be good enough. So, you know, um, it's just taking away those barriers and creating opportunities. Absolutely. And I think in growing the workforce, we have no option, even if we didn't want and we do want lots of diversity on, our, on, on the crew base, like above and below the line. We need, we need all those voices. We need all that experience. There's a wealth of talent of people out there who just never considered the screen industry as something that is available to them, whether it is from a, because they're a disability or they're, they've come from a, a different country or it's a language, all the different things, or they live in North Donegal, you know, that yes, you can, that, that you know, we, we are opening those doors, but they're not gonna fly open immediately. It is, it has to be a combination of us Screen, you know, with Screen Ireland, the productions, everybody embracing this. So it has to be a, a an industry, you know, uh, led program, definitely. And just on the crew database, that's open for documentaries as well as dramas, is it? Everything, 
so we have yeah so we have and that's why it's, it's kind of taken longer than we expected so when we started it and um, it looked like we had, we had live action and animation and then we thought no we actually need to divide that out because people who work in scripted don't necessarily you know the, the it might be the same role name but actually the skills are very different so then we divided it into uh, scripted drama and uh, non-scripted live action and then we looked at animation but now we're going to divide that down so we've got animation and gaming and then we had post-production and now we've got post-production and vfx so all the different every section has different crew roles then we've all the different production types you can register to be on you know so some people might work in film and tv drama as a first ad but they must might also work in non-scripted as a floor manager so so you have the opportunity to register in, in lots of different areas and um, you do kind of pick a key role in all those areas although you can put in secondary roles with an opportunity to put in all of your skills everything will be verified we want it to be a really useful tool for the industry so everybody i'm not quite sure how we're going to do this yet but we'll definitely have to bring in more people but every application will be verified through imdb through credits you know as much as possible so what we want is for producers if they look for and um, they do, there's a filter, there's an advanced filter opportunity that you say, I want a DOP who works in um, TV episodic drama with uh, at least 10 years experience. You can put that in and find that person. So that's why we felt we need to be able to stand behind that. So every single application comes in will be verified before it's put live on the database. So it has taken a long time to scope mm. it. And we've spoken to so many people of, of databases, but I think it'll be really good when, and it's being built now. So it's all happening. It's just waiting for it to be built and not being a, anybody who understands, I just can't understand why it can't happen now. Because in production, we make things happen really quickly. But uh, building databases apparently takes a while. But uh, no, it'll be great. I think it'll be a really useful tool. And also you can list, it'll have a listing of all production companies, facilities as well. Um, so it should be a one-stop shop. Um, um, and I think I'm probably going to wrap um, this up. So I'm just with my last question. Uh, what's next for you, Deirdre? What have you coming up? Yep. Um, well, we have obviously we shot um, You Were Not My Mother last year. So we've had a quiet year this year. This has just been post on this film, but it is an opportunity to develop and um, gear up our next projects. So we're doing a feature film called Woken with Alan Friel. It'll be his debut feature um, that will shoot in the West and it's an Irish-Italian co-production. Um, so that will film hopefully the first quarter of next year. Um, we have another very interesting severed hand, uh, very arch movie that we're, we're in advanced kind of pre-financing. Um, which is called The Restoration at Grayson Manor with um, the very talented Glenn McQuaid. Um, and we have another project which is much more ambitious um, and is taking a while to kind of, because it'll be a multiple uh, co-production across Europe um, called Dr. Glass with Ashling Walsh. And Rasheen, what's next for you? Um, I um, I actually started my own little production company in County Mayo during before the pandemic, um, and because you know we were all sitting at home for a year, it was a great time to develop projects while working on the um, early prep for Sunlight. Um, so I seem to have developed a slate for the company, which is really exciting and it's it's new for me. So. 
what's next for me is developing my company more and developing the slate of films and learning how to finance uh, features because this was my first feature and I um it was obviously as you both said it was uh funded exclusively by Screen Ireland so I am now going to be putting my pitching skills to use and learning how to <laughs> finance feature film and, and hopefully um uh financing Claire's next project soon get this one out in the world and then move on so yeah I have a lot of irons on the fire so along with my my film festival work that's what I'm doing and Fran, I think you've talked about everything that Screen Ireland have <laughs> Yeah, there's an awful lot. There's a huge amount happening. Um, but I suppose I'm just trying to think. I mean, we've, we've just set up a new learning management system as well. We're going to be doing an awful lot more online learning um, where they're accessible, you know, non-tutor-led as well as tutor-led. A lot of blended. I think what we did learn um, during the pandemic is that we can do an awful lot to a broader audience um, if we have that blended approach, but we do miss meeting face to face. So we are looking at you know, when we can go face to face to have that blended piece as well, because and, and also with the crew down, just to say the crew hubs are all around the country. So not everything like programs will be run everywhere. So every hub has a, an area that they cover as well as the national limit. So everybody is kind of doing all of the hubs will be doing training for the entire country, which will be which. So that's uh, that, as I say, should be announced very soon. And um, God, there's just some pathways, our new fund that has just come out for diversity on set. So that is an opportunity for productions to, one of the things they can do is keep on the passport to production people. I noticed there was one thing, um, a note there about older women in the industry. And we actually had quite a lot of people um, who applied and a lot that were accepted on the programme who were older women and um, who had maybe reared their families or had wanted to always work in the screen industry and have gone off in another industry and just thought, no, this is my time. I want to do it. And they've just done so well, so well on their placements. Lots of them have been kept on. So um, I think that broad remit, as I said, we just couldn't, we're empowering a lot of people to do an awful lot more because we can only do so much. We're a small team. So I think, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very busy and very exciting and lots and lots and lots happening over the next few years. I mean, we're looking a lot around VR as well. And um, we're looking at a program that we're hoping to run around VR as well. So just, I mean, every unit, I can only talk about film and TV, TV drama, but, you know, I see all these courses going on, especially now we're not in the same office. I'm like, oh my God, I'd love to do that. And it's colleague. They just, I just see them on Zoom. You know, whereas normally I'd hear it across the office of what's going on, but uh, yeah. Down Brilliant. Well, I, I've just to say thank you to uh, Deirdre, Rasheen and Fran. Thanks so much for your time. It's been a really great discussion. I really enjoyed it. And um, I also want to thank Screen Skills Ireland for sponsoring this event. That's it, I think. Thanks a million to everyone who, who, who joined us and I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Fiona. If you would like to support Women in Film and TV Ireland or follow the work we do, log on to wft.ie.